friends. Hello, brothers. This is Justin with the Sonic Improvement. I am joined today with my co-host, the Rat Worshipful Guru of Goliad, Dennis Yates. <laughs> Thank you, Right Worshipful Sir. I, I sure do appreciate that intro. And uh, I would like to say uh, I'd like to introduce our special guest, and, and we're super stoked about this. We talk about this quite often, which is guarding the West Gate. And uh, Brother David Yance is going to give us a, 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 a presentation on this and, and discuss his views on it. And then we're going to go into some questions. First, before we get started, I'd like to say that Sonic Improvement, its guests and its hosts especially, are not share do not share the opinion of uh, of any grand lodge, any lodge, any grand jurisdiction, or anyone else. Our opinions are ours, solely ours. So enjoy the show. We're we're ready to to have some fun. Take it away, Dave. Thanks, guys. Well, I'm truly honored uh, to be here tonight, um, surrounded by two right worshipers. And by the way, I want to say congratulations to both of you. Um, I'm sure everybody in your area is looking for a great year. For the for the record, I am only a district instructor. So. <laughs> well, that's important, that's if not more so. Instructor. And, and I was going to say, and that's a good point because that means he's intelligent. I'm just the guy that stands in the corner looking pretty. So that's, that's me. So that's we, me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Dave, I met you not very long ago, about a month ago at Burleson Masonic Lodge, and you gave an mm -hmm. excellent presentation on guarding the West Gates. Um, oh. If you would, please, would you share that with us now? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. All right. The information contained in this lecture was compiled by uh, Right Worshipful Ritmore, 2021 Grand Order of the Grand Lodge of Texas, and myself. Now, my goal this evening is to bring to light the reasons that we should be doing a proper and thorough investigation of the people that petition our lodges. I start the program tonight with a quote by a past Grand Master for all of us out there to contemplate. More damage has been done to lodges with white balls than that of black cubes. Now, I'm going to ask this question. I want everybody to think about this. What do you think about that statement and why? Now, here's a couple of other questions for us to think about. What is the last question the senior deacon asked the master ceremonies in an EA degree? And what is that master ceremonies answer to, those, to that very last question? Just what does the answer mean to you? How does it relate to what we are talking about tonight? You see, it brings to light the fact that we are to be doing a proper and full investigation on our petitioner. If we don't, then how can it be of good report? It's not just the senior warden's job or responsibility for that matter to guard the gate where he sits. The trends of data that we have found compounded with our own experiences at Lodge has had many wondering if there is some mysterious connection the Westgate has to the vitality of our fraternity beyond the obvious of keeping out the riffraff. Now, where have you heard this statement before? Be particularly attentive not to recommend him. In other words, be careful who you recommend, where can we find that statement? We hear it all the time, but do we actually really listen to the words and its meanings? We can find that statement in the EA charge as one of the last things written and said to the EA at the end of his degree. Being only Master Masons can sign a petition, why is this statement found in the EA charge and not the Master's? In my opinion, it highlights how important we take 
allowing new members into our great fraternity. To the end that the honor and glory of the reputation may be firmly established and the world at large convinced of its good effects. That statement is the last thing the EA hears in his EA charge at the end of his apprentice degree. It is imperative we thoroughly investigate and initiate only men that can not only hold but grow our standards. Otherwise, we will have a tough enough time convincing anybody of our good effects. Grand Lodge law requires that a petitioner provide three references who are Masons. Masonic references can be the best source of obtaining valuable information about the petitioner. And because they are Masons, the investigators should be able to explore all areas of the petitioner's background without having to tread lightly. These Masons must know the petitioner and not be Masons who have little or no knowledge of the character of the petitioner. Let me read that again. These Masons must know the petitioner and not be Masons who have little, little or no knowledge of the character of the petitioner. Article 393 of the law book of the Grand Lodge of Texas reads in part, a candidate for the degrees in masonry must be free born, sound in mind and of good moral character. It goes on to say the candidate must disclose any known physical limitations or disabilities which will render him incapable of earning a living. Finally, after the foregoing requirements have been strictly met, the candidate's mental, moral, and such physical qualifications is one to be decided within the sound discretion of the members. Now let me ask, is a proper investigation of a petitioner especially important today? I would say yes. In most cases, few of the brethren who will vote on his petition actually know the petitioner. And therefore, depend almost entirely on the report of the investigation committee to decide how they will vote. Now, a quote from Brother Darren Coates, a Master Mason of Lawton Lodge, number 183 in Lawton, Oklahoma. He told me, it was the proudest day of my life to be handed my petition. His petition was handed him to him after a month of him going to visit and eat dinner with the members of that lodge prior to the lodge meeting. He was getting to know them while they were getting to know him. This was done despite several of the members already knew him. Now I want to talk about a few stats. From 1901 up to the mid to late 70s, on average, we reje rejected around 15% of prospects. During that same time, on average, 80% or more of EAs progressed to be a Master Mason. For over 70 years, our percentages remained steady. So why the change? Here's a couple of random decades that we chose. From 1945 to 1955, an average candidate black was 17%. That same time frame, average EA to Master Mason progression was 90%. Now, let's get a little bit more recent. 2006 to 2016, an average candidate black was 3%. That same time frame, average EA to Master Mason progression was 69%. Why do you think we reject far less now than we do be did before? Could it simply be that because now a majority of petitioners are worthy? Could it be we don't know the candidate enough to have enough information to blackball him? So a white ball is automatic. Let's go back to the statement made by a past grandmaster. More damage has been done to lodges with white balls than that of black cubes. Are those numbers telling of why the change in membership between the two random decades? 
Now, the information I'm about to give you may lean you towards looking for quantity and not quality, but that's not the route we need to take. This is a short-sighted fix, and we're actually living in the consequences of quantity over quality. In Brother George Washington's words, associate yourself with men of good quality if you esteem your own reputation. What that says to me is this, surround yourself with good men and quality will come naturally. How old do you think George Washington was when he wrote that statement? He was just a small boy in school at his desk, and he was already thinking about how you can be a better person. In the mid-80s, we had over 350,000 Master Masons in Texas. I can remember a time in my lodge when our lodge room was full of members, and this was in 1987. The Grand Lodge had, had an article on its website called Masonry in Texas. In that article, I read that there are 122,000 Masons in the state, a third of what we had in the 80s. These numbers were spread across 914 lodges. When I contacted Grand Lodge and asked about the article and those numbers, I was taken aback by the information I was given. You see, the 122,000 members among 914 lodges is a 10-year-old stat. We actually have 61,693 Masons among 769 lodges in Texas. The average age is 66 years old. We lost 50% of our membership in a 10-year time frame. We have to recognize that the way it was done up to the 80s worked well. What do we need to do to see the 80s again? We need to do better or, or we're going to be out of business. We have to begin bringing in younger and eager men who want to grow our great fraternity. On average, families move every seven years. That was not the case in early America. In those days, everyone knew everyone. For that matter, the whole town knew that Jimmy Jack Sixpack was a drunk and had no business being a Mason. Nowadays, most people live in the same house for years and never really get to know their neighbors. That makes it especially important today to do a proper investigation of a petitioner. Why are our candidates not progressing to the next degree? Now, I'm not saying I have all the answers. However, we often hear that the second and third sections of the EA esoteric are detrimental to men progressing in our craft. How does that claim stand up historically? Does anyone know when the second and third section of the EA catechism was ratified into law? Anyone want to take a guess why? Per the report of the Committee on Work in 1921, no one was doing it, and we were supposed to be. Now, here's a look at a five-year average before and after the second and third sections are used. A five-year average of an EA progressing before the second and third section was 82.45%. A five-year average after the second and third section was 86.6%. I know things are different today, but history shows it had no ill effect and very well could have had an unforeseen positive effect. There have been a myriad of reasons as to why our candidates don't want to or can't learn the questions and answers, but I have never once heard that it might be us and not them that is the problem. 
Also, contrary to popular belief, most young men attracted to our fraternity today are looking for a challenge in real experiences. Our catechisms could help fulfill a portion of that desire if presented and done correctly. One of the biggest opportunities I feel we miss with the petitioning process and questions and answers is what I'd like to discuss next. A rite of passage. Think to yourself, what is an example of a rite of passage? Now, let's refer back up to Brother Darren Coates' comment to me when he be, uh, became a Master Mason. It was the proudest moment of my life. Why is that? What was so important about it? Why did it mean so much to him? Because he felt like he earned something. It is a solemn and serious occasion. Ultimately, after a rite of passage is performed, you are not the same. In some cultures, the rite was so profound, you even received a new name or title, like brother. Could our candidate and investigation process and questions and answers, for that matter, be considered a rite of passage? I would say yes, but it certainly can't be if we breeze over it or we just get them to parrot meaningless words. If the candidate is never made to feel he has to overcome an obstacle or learn something, then how could it be a rite of passage, much, much less a special event? I mean, if an unknown candidate gets a petition and it's voted on at the next state of meeting, that process does not reflect any part of a rite of passage. Also, our standard for completing our work, especially one as important as allowing new members, certainly has an effect on the candidate as to what standards he sets for himself in the future in regards to the craft. In other words, if you choose something is or is not important, others tend to believe you. This leads me to my last question. Do you feel that the rejecting of candidates and EA progressing are connected in some way? And if somehow, maybe it's just a coincidence, but correlation certainly does not always equal causation. It could allude to the change of, serious, of seriousness in the process of investigating. It could refer to the regression of standards that is more systemic than we are willing to admit or even see. It could be telling us that up to the late 70s, our process worked great, but things changed and we need to update our process as we always have. Ask yourself these questions. Is this man truly worthy and well-qualified? Would I welcome this man to my home? Would I leave this man alone with my wife? Would I want this man to marry my daughter? Would I trust my life to this man? Will this man be a credit to the fraternity? Is this man sufficiently literate to be able to grasp and retain the precepts of Freemasonry? And finally, are his motives for becoming a Mason good? Let's face it, the only way we can truly answer these questions is to get to know the man before we hand him a petition. The topic that I'm about to discuss is by no means meant to anger any brother. In a great deal of lodges around the state, a measure was brought before the members to vote on. This was when we voted on allowing members to carry a handgun within the walls of the lodge room. For years, Grand Lodge law did not allow anyone to carry a handgun in the lodge room. But when the Grand Lodge left it up to the individual lodges to decide this topic, it made me pause and consider why some lodges wanted this in the first place. The most common reason I have heard why some lodges have allowed the carrying of handguns in the lodge room is due to the, to the concern that someone may come in and start shooting 
and they wanted to have the right and the ability to protect themselves and their members. However, that same concern does not, in some lodges, seem to carry the same concern when someone we don't know asks for a petition to become a member of our great and honorable fraternity. You see, in my opinion, we took allowing the carrying of a handgun more serious than the process of allowing new members into our fold. Should we not take handing out a petition with the same seriousness as weapons in the lodge room when it comes to protecting our lodges and the fraternity as a whole? Now, here's a few tactics that you can try when investigating. First of all, don't just look for things that are wrong. Look for things that are right with the petitioner. I urge each of you to ask your secretary to furnish you with the Grand Lodge of Texas's investigation manual revised in 2019. This investigation manual will guide you step by step on how each per person that the petitions your lodge should be investigated. This manual is currently being updated for release in 2023. What could you say are some good tactics to get to know an unknown person's reputation and moral character? For me, time is essential. How much time do you spend investigating? When I'm on the committee, I will spend at least an hour or more. Now that is me. Nothing says that you should spend that much time, but I ask questions that elicit a response that causes them to ask more questions. Usually there are questions that he has already been answered on the petition. I just reword it. This will allow you to see if he answers the same question in the same manner. Where you do the investigation is crucial. Their home with their spouse included. If the spouse cannot be there, reschedule for when she can attend. This is very important as it will give you an opportunity to ask her questions about how she feels. Speaking with them in their own home is vital. This will give you an idea of how they live. You can find out a great deal from a person by looking at their social media to see how he interacts. You can Google everything about anyone, their name, their phone number, email address. Eat with them on neutral ground, not just the lodge. Go to coffee and talk to their friends. When I presented this lecture to Vernon Lodge in Quana, a member of the lodge stood up and told us a story about how he was given his petition. See, he's a peace officer, and he went to another peace officer who was a Mason and told him he wanted to become a Mason. And uh, he went on to say that he was taken to the lodge, given a petition. They voted on it at the next state of meeting, and he was initiated three weeks later. At that point, after hearing this uh, lecture, he started questioning, uh, should he have ever been given a petition in the first place? His words, I feel that I was given my petition simply because I wore a badge. He said, but ask yourself this question. Are there bad peace officers out there? And are there good peace officers out there? He said, of course there are. He said, I could have been a bad one but I was still given that petition. He said, we will not do that anymore in our lodge. If I can make that much difference in one person's mind, then I feel that I've done my job. Now, background checks. At the very least, ask his consent to do one, even if you don't plan to do it. That seems to help keep them honest. But keep in mind, if you decide to do a background check on one, you must do it on all. No commercial background checks are allowed. 
They must be done via the Texas DPS website. And the cost for that is around $3 per person. Open-ended questions and listen. For example, what can you tell me about yourself? Why are you interested in becoming a Mason? Do you know any Masons? If you are working off of a petition that is signed by Masons who attest they know him, and he answers no to the last question, then how could he have been handed a petition in the first place? After all, it must have been signed by Masons that know him, which is why we should always invite him to join us for dinner or for coffee so we can get to know him and he can get to know us. Make them feel welcomed. But do not sell them on the craft. They're already sold. All you need to do is begin to express the standards that are expected. In other words, scare him just a bit. Make him think about his decision. This is a very important aspect of a hero's journey, and it's setting up a powerful rite of passage. We have to remember that he may want to become a Mason, but we have to ask ourselves, do we want him to become a Mason? Will he grow or diminish our standards? In order for Freemasonry to flourish, Masonry must be good for the man and the man must be good for Masonry. Only the very best are good enough to be Masons. When it comes to the questions and answers, don't sugarcoat it. Completing that task is no joke and he needs to know that. Make sure he, he and his spouse know that Masonry is masonry's memory work i'm gonna back it up make sure that he and his spouse know that the memory work is not for the faint of heart and will require an enormous amount of effort on his part it will test him and it has broken many so he needs to be ready then teach him like the privilege that it is like it is your first time every time don't preach the meanings of the symbols and words but encourage him to see them for what they are. Something for him to interpret so that he can properly apply them to his life. There is a reason the basis of our art is hidden in symbols. We do not need to try to explain them away, but embrace and teach how to listen for the secrets they can whisper to each of us. A letter written to Grand Lodge of Ancient Free and Accepted Masons in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts to enlarge the sphere of social happiness is worthy of a benevolent design of a Masonic institution, and it is most fervently to be wished that the conduct of every member of the fraternity, as well as those publications that discover the principle which actuate them, may tend to convince mankind that the grand object of Masonry is to promote the happiness of the human race. Brother George Washington, January 1793. Now, I mentioned at the beginning of this lecture that it is not just a senior warden's job to guard the gate where he sits. Where does the responsibility lie when it comes to guarding the West Gate? When the master of the lodge appoints an investigation committee, it is their job to do a thorough investigation of the petitioner However, if another brother has information about that individual, good or bad, it is their duty to inform the committee so they can complete and provide an educated report. You see, guarding the West Gate begins with us all, and it never really ends. It is incumbent upon all of us to see that we continue to guard well the West Gate. Dave, that was an excellent presentation. I thank you for, for, for taking the time out of your evening to give that. Uh, I have several notes that I wrote down that I would like to uh, discuss. Okay. However, I know, I, I mean, I can, I, can, I can feel it over the internet. Dennis is chomping at the bit. <laughs> yes, I there's, can see it there's so face. much to unpack. Well, so I almost had to reduce the left side of my screen because I kept seeing him nodding his head. 
And I was going, he, he's, he's taking me away from what I'm doing. <laughs> Dennis, I will let you have the first question, okay? We'll take turns. How about that? Okay, that, that's a good idea. Um, th- this one isn't um, so much of a question, but a statement. Um, when you brought up the, the, the fact that we're told in the very beginning, and, and I'm going to leave it kind of vague when I discuss these kind of things, because there's, this goes to a broad audience, and so we don't want to express too much uh, online. Correct. But we're, we're told to be careful who we recommend. Correct. And I, I, think, I, think, I think the best reasoning for that in that very moment for that, for that person is the fact that they really don't have an idea of what we're about yet. They don't, they don't know anything about what we're doing. They haven't been through any of right. the real rites of, rites of passage to that point. So, mm-hmm. so it's, it's kind of a, a forewarning of, of while you, you have been brought to some knowledge, you, you don't have all the knowledge. So, Mm-hmm. hold tight hold tight hold steady and 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 strong and and you can you can always go back later and and you're you're absolutely right and i'm so glad you picked up on that uh because so many people don't i mean i think it's in the second to the last paragraph of the charge uh and you're absolutely right we're it's a forewarning uh, we know you're excited but we don't want you leaving here and going and calling all your friends and buddies. Say, hey, you need to come on up here. You got to be careful, yes. you know, learn more about it. And then if you think they're worthy, bring them in, bring them in. Right. And let's, let's talk. Because I think most Texans will, will certainly be able to relate to this. I don't know. You know, I guess just about anybody will be able to. It's when, when you're baptized, when you're when you're baptized, you're so excited and you and you go tell all your mm-hmm. friends, you go tell your neighbors, you tell everybody and, you know, thank you, Jesus. And and it's an exciting thing. But you really don't know what all comes with baptism at that point. So Correct. sometimes sometimes it's best to just hold fast and and uh, and know what you're discussing before you start discussing. Exactly right. Another another point that 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 we've talked about before in the past, Justin and I is, is the circles, you know, really the, the best candidates for our fraternity are within our own circles, our own circles of friends that we know, the people that we hang out with that, that really get it. And we really, you know, are able to connect on a certain level that, that we don't connect with other people around us in that way. That's, that's the inner circle that we really want to try to get into the fraternity or at least ask them why they're not a part of the fraternity. And so it's those circles that, that will tend to uh, go to for the most part. And in a small town like Goliad, we know everybody and we know all the circles. And so it is easier. We still live in the past pretty much to where it is easier for us to, to guard the West Gate in that regard. But um, you can't just let somebody in because they're a nice guy either. Because they're not yeah. always they're not always up to the challenge or the aptitude or, you know, there's there's so much in here that I, I want to unpack. Go ahead, right. Justin. I'm sorry I stole your thunder. Well, let me um, I'm going to. Talk about that real quick. If you remember what uh, the statement that George Washington said, associate yourself with men of good character, good quality, if you esteem your own character. That's exactly what you're talking about. That's what we do. Uh, that's why you said our best candidates are who are already in the lodge with us. You're and, absolutely right. And not just your character, but if you esteem the character of your lodge. In the character exactly of right. fraternity, yes. only mm-hmm. associated yes. with esteemable men. Correct. I wanted to uh, share a story. It's actually going to be a, a handful of stories, but they're all related. I just want to say that I have sat in a lodge before. Not not in the lodge room, but just uh, in the uh, in the dining hall. When 
a stranger that nobody has known came in, expressed an interest, and he walked out 10 minutes later with a signed petition to fill out the mm-hmm. way. We are, we are doing ourselves a huge disservice, um, not just to ourselves, but to our lodges, to the mm-hmm. community, and to future generations of the fraternity. You're exactly right. I mean, that, um, when we do that, um, I made a statement in that uh, lecture that um, when you give a petition to someone like that, you have no idea who they are. Uh, you're just handing it out. So what we're looking, what, they're, what we're doing now in a lot of lodges across the state is we, they are still looking for quantity mm-hmm. over quality because they want those numbers up. Dude. They 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 want the numbers up, but what good is getting someone to come in, pay their degree fee, be um, go through the EA, go through fellow craft, go through the masters? They become a masturbation. They pay their dues, and then we never see them again. Yep. What good does it do us? When my granddad was still alive, he told me a story because my granddad was a Freemason as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, here in this town that I live in, and I'm not suggesting this is best practice by any means, but I think it drives the point home. When he first petitioned, he turned his petition alongside with another guy and they were both blackballed. And the practice of the lodge at that time was that everybody was blackballed the first time they turned in a petition. Um, If you reapplied, they'd give it more serious consideration. But if you sold... He was very specific when he told me this. He said, if you sold beer or something like that, (laughs) you would never get in. That's right. But when my granddad and this other gentleman both got news that they had been blackballed, my granddad asked if he was going to re uh, the other guy was going to repetition. And the other guy's like, no, you know, screw those guys, forget them. And my granddad said, if he gets blackballed again, the day he dies, there will still be a petition on that secretary's desk, uh, meaning that it was important enough to him that he get in regardless of how long it took. And the retention at that time was extremely high, like you're talking about, because membership was difficult. It was earned. And once you earned that place in the fraternity, you didn't want to, to lose it. Right. So you you stuck around, you learned the work, you took the fraternity seriously. Now, again, I'm not suggesting that's best practice, but the point is they took the petitioning process seriously. They took the investigation process seriously, and they weren't apologetic about it. They were guarding the West Gate, probably not in the most effective way, right? However, Mm -hmm. they were doing it in a way that was ensuring that whoever did reapply stuck around. Uh, I had one last story and then I'll, I'll let Dennis, I'll let Dennis have a few questions because this is, this is kind of lengthy and this isn't an investigation story. This is just a uh, general guarding the West gate story and guarding the West gate is generally applying to new people. However, mm-hmm. I also feel like as a lodge, we, we, we also sometimes let existing members in the West Gate that, sure, they're already Masons, but they should also be going through that investigation process. We should be taking a close look, particularly if they're from out of town and they want to join our, our, our lodge and we know nothing mm-hmm. about them. So I won't name names, but in particular, uh, a local lodge had a brother from way out north, north, uh, northeast Texas, like almost, almost Arkansas, Oklahoma area. He moved down here and petitioned to join a local lodge. And they accepted him without really much of an investigation process. And he, he immediately started to be very, very contentious, very difficult to work with. Right. And uh, extremely immature, immature to the point where he he got mad and demitted. Number one, 
a few months later, he came back. He approached the lodge again and asked to, to join again, be reaffiliated. And the brothers voted and allowed him to rejoin the lodge. Mm-hmm. And he uh, again started being the same old person, very contentious, very difficult. I was at the lodge at this time. And because I, when elections rolled around, because I did not nominate him, me personally, because I did not nominate him to the office that he would ascend to, you know, through the progressive line, which is another kind of bad practice. Um, he, uh, this, this guy was ready to fight me in the lodge room as soon as the gavel, oh dropped, as soon as we we're done. And so in anger, he again demitted the lodge. Number two, okay. <laughs> this is the second time, right? I'm seeing um, a pattern. Yes. And so at the time, I, uh, I finished with college. I was a teacher at the time, and I got hired uh, like an hour or so away. And so I moved and not really wanted to keep a membership here because, um, frankly, if I got an office, I would feel obligated to fulfill it, and I didn't want to extend myself too far. So I I moved my membership to, to the new area and I would find out sometime later that this, that this, this brother, he's a brother, Mason, he's a brother. He, uh, he he approached the lodge again, swore up and down that he had uh, turned in, turned another cheek. He had, he had changed his ways and they led him into the lodge for the third time. And he actually, the same lodge, the same lodge. Okay. And they, they, he, he kept his act together this time and he went through all the chairs. He had never been a past master before. And so he got to worship master and it all hit the fan. I mean, mm-hmm. in a bad way. And this, my, my point of all this, aside from the fact that we're doing a very bad job of, of guarding who comes into our organization, uh, this brother, almost single-handedly killed this lodge just through just through bad leadership mm-hmm. and this was a healthy lodge and the lodge is still struggling to recover from it so i i say all this to tell you that that guy that just comes in and you had a petition without knowing him he could be that guy he could be that person he could be the guy that kills your lodge he could be the guy that ends up as grandmaster and you end up hearing about it on a Reddit like you do some of these other grandmasters in these <laughs> other states doing these crazy things. Mm-hmm. It's, it all starts with one piece of paper. And it all starts with, with one process. And if we drop the ball, and it sounds like I'm being dramatic, but it's not unrealistic. If we drop the ball, the results can be catastrophic to our oh, yeah, and our organization. Absolutely. You know, one th- I'm going to back go back to the very beginning when you were talking about guarding the West Gate. Um, it's also for you know not just for our new people, but it's for uh, the uh, the uh, master masons in the lodge. Yes, sir. Well, it also it doesn't just end with when I talk about earlier that it never really ends. It also applies to advancement. If you have an EA that is given his proficiency, and he's ready to, uh, to move on to a fellow craft, but you find out something. That can be objected. That is guarding the West Gate. It, it just keeps on going. It snowballs. Yeah. The question we have to ask ourselves is, are we, for lack of a better term, are we, are we brave enough? to to step up when that happens mm-hmm. do we are well, we yeah, bold enough i got a, a compliment you um us old guys us mossbacks you know we're we talk and people just go out oh, just sit over there in the corner and hush but the younger generation is what we need to recognize and see what's going on and try to help Make that difference and steer the ship back into the channel where it's supposed to be going. Yes, right sir. now, 
we're going in circles. Not a very good circle either. We're just moving. Going, just going, going, going through the steps. Down, down a drain. There you go. There you go. We're swirling. Yeah. We're, so, uh, so keep up the good work. Well, appreciate we're that. at a point. We're at a point now, and, and this is something that, that Justin and I feel strongly about, is that we're at a point now to where the, the people that are our age and, and younger that are, that are in the fraternity and, and joining the fraternity, for the most part, they're very serious about wanting the experience, needing the experience, and and with with that being said our our job is to help shape that relationship between mm-hmm. these guys that are these guys that are just coming in and you guys that have all the information so you know i've decided to coin phrase you know the the your generation as the mentor generation so we need you as mentors for us and for the the newer guys that come in and and we and in in doing that we're saying we're ready to take ownership we 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 love this enough to really get invested and we're asking you to keep your ownership in it mm-hmm. to the point to the point that you're going to teach us the 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 best practices that you can find and also allow us to utilize the new technology, utilize, you know, some, some, um, some other means of, of communication and whatnot, whatever, whatever, whatever it is today or tomorrow that, that will help us to progress as a, uh, a society and as a people uh, that, you know, that's what we need from the mentor generation we need to learn how it used to be on guarding the west gate and we also right. need to know we also need to know that we have your support on mm-hmm. on pushing our fraternity forward in in where we need to go so we're actually trying to be the glue for for the mentor generation and the the young guys coming in you know we're that's right. kind of that's one of our goals now you know, i'm so I, glad that you mentioned leadership because you know we I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. Uh, did go you have ahead, more to say? Ahead. No, it's um, on your mind. Let's let's talk. About there's it. a um, a show, um, um, the Denzel Washington show, football. Remember the Titans? Oh yes, uh, yes. One of the kids uh, that the coach was, uh, or one one player was talking to another player, wanting to know what's wrong with him. Why are you not listening, or why are you acting the way you're acting? He looked at him and said, "Attitude reflects leadership." And that's exactly it. We're bringing people in and we teach them the work. We're getting them the work, their work. And when they finish their esoteric work, for the most part, they're just saying, good job. There you go. And they're left. They're over there. They don't know what to do. It's up right. to us to go to them, get them involved. You know, let them pro Tim every now and then. You know, get them out there in the community, helping out with different things. But get them involved. So it's very yeah, so interesting you brought up leadership because I'm very, very, that's very, very important to me is leadership. Yes. And, and we should definitely, uh, while we hold everyone accountable, we, we don't want to coddle them and we don't want to, um, to be too stern with them. It's, it's, it's really a balancing act that we have mm-hmm. to work on. And, and I think we need to develop that more than ever right now. Absolutely. Uh, so, the one other thing I wanted to bring up real quick, just real quick, since since Justin got to share his story, so I'm <laughs> going to share my story. No, he, he shared he shared his grandfather's story. He couldn't even be his original and be himself and share his story. He had to share his grandfather's. But no, <laughs> just kidding. No, so so when when I petitioned the lodge, I I petitioned and. I went up there and several times and had dinner and, and visited with the lodge. It wasn't a super long experience, but it definitely wasn't a, a one nighter. It, it, it was like three months, I think it, of, of going up there and visiting. 
And when they finally did do the investigation, I had three gentlemen come to my house and they called me a, a day, a day, day and a half ahead of time and said they were coming. And fortunately, my house is always clean. And, and so I didn't have to worry about that. And fortunately, my wife was home and, and my kids and, and whatnot, because that's what they wanted to see. They came in, they sat at our table, they talked with me, they talked to my wife, they talked to my kids, and they really got a good feel for what was going on. Now, the impression that they left me is when they introduced themselves, one introduced himself as, as an attorney. The other one introduced himself as a communications specialist for the government. And mm -hmm. the other person introduced himself as a county judge. So you want to talk about making an impression on somebody. You, you send people with the types of professions that interrogate, and that's going to make an impression on whoever oh, yeah. you're, you're investigating and and you're absolutely right going to your home that's the best way to do it that's oh, that's yeah. how you're going to find out and while one person's asking a question the other two should be watching the demeanor of of that of that candidate as well as his family and seeing how they all respond because right. a man's only going to go as far as his family's going to let him that's for sure right that's where his heart is Years ago, well, you know, at least at least you got notice back in 88, 89, or actually in 89, late 88. Um, I didn't get notice. I got a knock on the door <laughs> and I went and opened up the door and man introduced himself, told me who he was uh, from Faith Lodge. And he said, I understand you turned in a position, a petition. I said, yes. Is your wife home? Well, yeah, she is. And he came in and we sat right here at the kitchen table and he investigated me and he left. He said, two other gentlemen be uh, coming by sometime. And they left. that happened two more times. Back then, they didn't give you notice. They just came and knocked on your nice. door nice. because they didn't want you cleaning up. They didn't want you, uh, you know, making sure, you know, you didn't have holes in the wall or food on the floor. You just didn't have a food fight or whatever. Uh, they right. came and they just knocked on your door. And uh, so it, it was very interesting how the investigation process has changed from the late 80s to today. One of my favorite investigation experiences, and this happened years ago, uh, was not done probably by the book like you described, Dave, um, as far as uh, background checks go. However, I, I went to a gentleman's house for an investigation, and I was the first one there. And we were, we were, we were talking and he's like, I just think I should let you know that, uh, I have had some problems in the past with the law. Mm -hmm. And I said, I know. And I, well, you can't see it because of the green screen, but, uh, I had a, a, a folder where we already run his background check. And I was like, I already know about this. Thank you for telling me. But the look on his eyes, I mean, like saucers and, and he was, I don't think it was necessarily a, a fear thing. It was a, holy cow, these guys are serious kind of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, really, from the outside looking in, the kind of thing that you would probably expect the Freemasons to, to do when they come to yes. your house. Right. You've already done yes. it through a background check. This is formality <laughs> at this point. Exactly. Right. Yeah, when I, um, when I first uh, petitioned, um, that process, I mean, it was lengthy. The investigation process probably lasted about three weeks uh, by the time everybody came in. And then uh, they, I went up there and uh, ate dinner with them, and, and they went in the lodge and uh, voted on me, and, there, and here I am today. But uh, that time I had, I mean, it was probably the most enjoyable time I, I had other than the last six months. The last six months has been just tremendous uh, with our 100-year anniversary here at Faith and me going to different lodges delivering this lecture. I mean, every time I delivered, I learned something more. And if I can make a difference in somebody's mind, their thoughts, 
on how to do the process and what the process actually means. That's what it's all about. I would to like to, to touch very briefly, uh, and we're, we're getting a little on time again already. Good conversations seem to go by very quickly. Oh, However, yeah. I would like to touch very quickly on, on uh, the petitioning process again as far as timelines go. And I won't name lodges. However, I, I've spoken with brothers from a variety of, of, of lodges. And there's two practices that they're very similar that I think are probably the way to go moving forward. Um, one lodge has a set time. And they say from the time that you express interest, you don't get a petition for six months. And another one is another lodge. <laughs> I, I know it too. I know and, the lodge. <laughs> and uh, there's another one who, who doesn't set a time limit. It's more, it's more when the lodge kind of has a consensus that this guy's ready. And then he gets the petition. However, during that time, it, it's not like, okay, we'll call you in six months. It's we expect you to be at our stated meetings for dinner. If we have social events, you're expected to be there. Anytime this guy can't interact with the, with the fraternity, he's expected to be there. Mm -hmm. And that's powerful for a few reasons. First of all, by the time he gets the petition, he actually has Masons that actually know him who can sign his petition and actually vouch for his character. Secondly, um, you can tell I'm a ritualist. Secondly, but you, <laughs> but, um, um, if this guy doesn't have time to come eat dinner with you, or if he doesn't have time to come do social events with the, with the brothers of the lodge, he's going to get no benefit at all from his membership at that lodge. Mm -hmm. um, if he can't go to, if he can't make it to the meetings and if he can't, if he can't socialize, he's going to, he's, he's going to totally miss out of all the experiences. And so right. that, that may be that he needs to find a lodge that has a schedule that better fits him. Or it may be that he's just not ready to make the commitment to the fraternity to, to really get out of it what, what he should be able to get out of it. And I'm sure there's other benefits to this as well. But those are the two most outstanding uh, benefits in my mind. Uh, I was curious kind of what your thoughts were on some kind of a timeline or something like that. Well, I, I don't know if you um, – it's smart to do a timeline. Um, you could do a minimum, uh, but as far as a max, I, I don't know. Um, it's kind of iffy. In my opinion, and I believe uh, there's several other people out there that uh, one of them that helped me uh, write this program uh, would agree with me in saying that it's whenever the lodge members have a consist consensus and they feel comfortable. If they feel that this person is worthy and well-qualified, if they feel that they've seen this person enough, they know his character, they know what they're thinking, they know what they're going to do. You need to know this person almost like you know your brother. Yeah. Because he's going to be your brother. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think it's a bad idea to put a minimum timeline because that gives the members of the lodge time to do a proper and thorough investigation. And today, we can do an investigation much quicker. Because with all the social media and all that, we can do it much quicker. Oh. But the process is, it's, I don't know if either one of y'all have seen the investigation manual or really, really looked at it. Yeah. It's... Um, the process is really the way we're doing it now is completely backwards because we're supposed to be given uh, a committee. That committee is given a copy of the petition and then they sit down and they go over the petition. And then they're given the investigation forms and they go over the questions and they write down other questions that they're going to ask. All three of them are going to ask the same questions. And then they disperse one by one. One will go and talk to them. Then another one will go and talk to them another time. And then another time. The, the third one will go. And then they come back and they meet again. And they look at the investigation and they look at the answers from each one of them. I asked this question. This is what they said. 
and they go down one by one. And if there's any discrepancies, it's a red flag. They're going to wait a minute. Why did why did he answer it this way? So you could have um, a timeline on there, but it would be more of an accidental timeline if that makes any sense. It I, depends I, on the situation. Um, a funny story, not really funny so much as it is kind of disturbing. I guess I wrote a blog article about two years ago using that resource that you described the uh, the investigation manual as a uh, I mean, like it is, like a resource. So I base mm-hmm. I base a lot of my own personal investigation guide off that that that's on the secretary's database, and I added a few things, uh, namely just the investigation on the internet. Uh, added right. that to the process because you can tell a lot about a guy real quick by going to his Facebook page. Oh yeah, and uh, and I've been yeah. on y'all's. Oh, so the, I'm watching. I've been on y'all. I've learned a lot about y'all. <laughs> but the, the amount of, of flack that I got for implying that we should actually have some kind of rigorous investigation process and uphold some kind of standards was mind-boggling. I actually, oh, yeah. I actually took it down for about a month or two and just made a few slight tweaks and then reposted it. But I don't, I don't, I don't push it like I did at first because I know, I know how sensitive people are to the idea that our organization could actually be something special. But right. um, it's a the the Grey Lodge investigation uh, manual is an excellent resource just by itself, oh, yeah. and I'm sure with the changes that are coming out, that will probably include internet and stuff like that. Um, but but the thing is, if you just take the, the investigation manual, as it is, right off the secretary's database, it is a hundred times more rigorous than any investigation process that 99% of lodges are already have, have that they're doing. So, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> but the fact, and I know yeah. this isn't like an official Grand Lodge document, even though it's on the database, but the fact that this is something that is on the database this is what the Grand Lodge is is not really promoting, but it's it's not it's not a uh, what's the word? It's not um, really not against a, it. It's not not necessarily <laughs> against it. Yeah. Well, I think if they're going to do it, I think they should just do it. They have the manual, and they should enforce the manual. And you have district deputies. Make sure have the district deputies make sure that they're using that manual. Make sure they're doing the investigation process correctly uh, now i want to go back to your question about the um uh timeline when i mentioned an accidental timeline it's basically it depends on the lodge itself how often do they meet do they meet one time a month well that could be five six months if they only meet one time a month if you have a lodge that meets two times a month it might be two months might be three months it just depends on the individual and it depends on the lodge and when the brethren of that lodge are happy. Yes, sir. When they're satisfied, okay, we have enough information. Uh, i tell you what, I, I like all this information, but I'm going to tell you one thing that I base it on. And, and this is all that matters to me. That's right. Lean in close. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this, it, it's about to get real. This is, this is probably the most serious thing I could ever say. That is that when, when I look at that person that, that I'm voting yes or no on, am I willing to let that person babysit my daughter right then? Exactly. And there? Exactly. He, it, because my daughter, as everybody knows, she travels with me everywhere. The people that she knows and that she loves and that she trusts are Masons. So once <laughs> that person becomes a Mason, she automatically trusts them. So they damn sure better have my trust before you're right. I let them in. You're, you're absolutely right. And, and that's in my lecture. I, I've got a series of questions. Will you, would you leave this man alone with your wife? Would you let this man marry your daughter? Uh, you're absolutely right. Well, Dave, this yes. has been an excellent interview. We easily could have gone for another hour or so. Oh, yeah. Um, this is I a have, huge have, topic. 
I have several questions and several notes that I still wanted to go over. And I know, I know Dennis has a booklet he wants to go over. Well, you know, we can always do another one another time to keep this conversation going because this, like I said, it's ongoing. It never ends. Yes, sir. Yes, Yes, sir. So, uh, so normally, normally I would do parting thoughts, but we are, we're going to run out of time before we can really get anything across. So David or Dave, I'm sorry. Thank you again so much. We definitely need to do this again. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Um, it, This was a blast. I'm honored and I'm humbled that y'all asked me on. Thank you again. Yes, sir. And keep guarding that West Gate. Keep guarding that West Gate. That's all there is to it. Dennis, I have one final thing that I need to bring up before we wrap up this interview today. Something so important that it cannot wait. Wow. Seth Spangler. Yes. Seth, you've been mentioned on my podcast. Congratulations. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. 